We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. In case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. And today we have Friday Flock Talk on a Saturday. I know it's, uh, you know, the, the title and the day of the week don't quite line up, but I really like this segment. It's fun to kind of touch base with you guys and, and try to let the viewers kind of guide the show. So with that being said, if you guys are tuned in live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk Ducks with us. Definitely hit us up in the live chat with your questions or comments. We will try to get to as many as we can. We usually get a pretty decent amount of uh, questions and comments flowing, but in case we can't get to yours, one way you can prioritize getting your questions sent to the front of the line is the super chat function. So you just scroll to the bottom and you should be able to find a super chat option there. So appreciate any of you guys that that want to uh, you know utilize that and show some support for the channel. But with all that being said, I am joined by my good friend Ryan Winter, aka Sports Chat Five Hundred Three. Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? Of course, thank you, Max. Doing awesome. Just got back from the beach. Everything's good. Yeah, you uh, you you know, are a an Oregon traveler. It really seems like you're you know making the stops and and taking in the state for all its beauty. So I'm I'm glad you were able to to check out the coast and and hang out there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's spring break for us, so we went down for the week. Got some great weather. My family has a house in Rockaway, so. Shout out to the Northern Oregon coast. And it was great. Got home, beautiful drive home, and now we're ready to rumble. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. So we're getting uh, our weekend kind of going here. If you, Some people think the weekend starts Friday. Some people think it's Saturday. Either way, it's the weekend. We're talking ducks. You know how we roll here. So story we wanted to start off with um, is the four Oregon legends that will be serving as honorary coaches in the spring game for Oregon set for April 23rd at 1 p.m. kickoff at Autzen Stadium. We have DeAnthony Thomas, LaMichael James, Eric Armstead, and Haloti Nada, the ones that are spotlighted to serve as coaches for the respective green and yellow teams. And I think this is a, a great way to, to generate some excitement. I'm going to pull up some quotes here from Lanning in a second, but just kind of wanted to, to get your reactions, uh, Ryan, to, to this move and, and kind of maybe what it means for the spring game and uh, just for Oregon. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, I, I, I like what Dan Lanning's done, you know, uh, since he got here. You know, there was a group of people maybe in the camp that wanted a coach that was going to be here long term. And I felt like each move that he's made since he's been here, since 
the very first thing he had that zoom call with all the ex players or a bunch of ex players. And I thought that went a long way uh, to cement him in here a little bit. That picture with Joey in the front room means a lot to me. You know, Joey's a year younger than me. We both grew up in the same basically neighborhood, both grew up Catholic school kids in Portland. And uh, so he represents my era big time, right? The, the letter quote unquote was about that. It was about, we want somebody that's going to stay. And it feels like now every move that's been made, it feels like Dan Lanning understands he's heard the rumblings. He's read the tea leaves and bringing back military appreciation for the spring game, bringing back, you know, more of a legacy with the Lane food County uh, or the food bank for Lane County uh, and, and making all these connections. And then on top of it, having these kind of honorary coaches come in and be represented, be spotlighted. Um, and more importantly, bring these guys in because like you said, numerous times, this is a huge recruiting weekend. And to more of your professional ducks, you can have in some of the legends of the program, a guy like LaMichael James, who maybe didn't have as much professional uh, uh, success, but was, you know, the face of the franchise during his time, DeAnthony Thomas, who's still basically a household name amongst uh, these recruits uh, and, and especially on YouTube, the film uh, is, is legendary. So I just, I love it. I think it ingratiates itself back to some of the history of the program or the program. I saw uh, Gerald uh, Barry just put that program time. Uh, it, it, it does a lot. And I think uh, the spring game is, is, is multiple things. One, you want to get the fans in, you want to get the fans excited. You want to get everybody there to try to support the new guys that are coming in, right? These guys are going to get the first time to be able to play at Austin stadium with fans, with the uniform on. And it's a big deal for them. Some of those guys, this is the only real action they're going to see in Austin stadium this calendar year. They're not going to play much this fall. So it's really fun time. And I think uh, the more, uh, uh, you know, people on the sideline you can have, the better. It feels appropriate, Ryan, that that they're doing this to add to the hype of the spring game, not only for the recruiting implications that it could have. I definitely want to get into that in a second here. But this is the first spring game they've been able to have in two years. So why not kind of go all out and, and have some of these legends come back to town? Had some quotes that I wanted to read from Lanning just about bringing these guys to, to the spring game. Lanning saying, quote, we couldn't be more excited to welcome these four legends and so many other incredible alumni back to Autzen Stadium. This program is built upon the foundation that all our former Ducks have established and we're honored that they are returning to Eugene for this event. We need our fans to pack Autzen Stadium to welcome these guys back and create an awesome atmosphere for the spring game. And the nice thing, Ryan, is that that Saturday, it's not even just going to be the spring game. you got a bunch of other Oregon sporting events going on. You have some Oregon relays at Hayward Field that's going all day. We're still waiting for the start time there. We have a soccer game against Seattle U starting at 11, spring game, as we talked about, at 1. And then after that, you got the baseball game against Wazoo at PK Park at 3, and a softball game against UW at the Jane at 5 p.m. So it really is going to be a day to showcase all of Oregon athletics, not just football. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I, I, I love that day. I, I love the spring game matched with the baseball game, albeit both those. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to go to the softball game as well. I was originally planning on trying to go to all of them, but um, it's going to be a fun day. The baseball game afterwards, always a blast because you're on site. You know, you don't have to go anywhere. I was going to get in the car, drive back over to campus or whatnot. But yeah, I think I think the spring game is something that is a showcase of the university. It's a showcase. Hopefully the weather cooperates, but it's a, it's a unique opportunity and it's an opportunity to get 
kids and their families on campus. We've always said that's the number one thing uh, at Oregon, especially with the facilities and everything else. But just to kind of feel the vibe here and, you know, you get some parents and families from far away, kids coming from Georgia or Florida, you know, they don't really know what it's like out here. They get out here, they get a taste uh, of, of the fresh air out here. They get to taste the fresh water out here. They get to feel the vibe on campus and nothing's better than being able to go see the fan base support other athletics like baseball, softball, soccer, track, obviously everything else. Uh, knowing that football is obviously the number one. So uh, having the football kids come in, families come in, and be able to see how Oregon supports just a regular spring game, not to mention all the other games, I think is fantastic. You mentioned players coming from far and wide out to Eugene, and, and one guy that we definitely want to put on everyone's radar here on the Ducks Dish podcast is, is five-star running back Richard Young from Lehigh Acres out in Florida. Perfect example of someone that maybe typically wouldn't make that trip, but he is making it all the way out here for the spring game. And it kind of leads into the point that I wanted to make here about why I think another reason that I think it's so notable that they're bringing in all these legends is there are a lot of other big time schools that are holding their spring game that day, April 23rd. You have Notre Dame, you have Oklahoma. There's been some chatter of a Baker Mayfield statue being unveiled that day. So we have to see what happens there. USC, which is one of the big, big, competitors for Oregon on the recruiting trail and Texas. So with so many other schools vying to get these guys on campus or how does Oregon make it more appealing? They say, Hey, come meet these legends, come hang out with them. And that's something that we're already seeing Dan Lanning do on the recruiting trail, having some former, some former legends, former Oregon football alumni coming through town while these guys are on visits. And I think it just goes into the strategy that is recruiting. Haven't had a bunch of huge recruiting weekends, at least throughout March right now. Uh, it's kind of another relatively quiet weekend for, for visitors right now. I know there's another uh, coaching clinic coming up in the month of April, but all that to say, you got to it's so important to get these guys on campus because someone can say, Oregon's my dream school. I grew up rooting for them, this and that, but it's really all lip service unless they get out to Oregon. A lot of these big time prospects that the Ducks are after, they, they grow up in the South where they're communicating with these SEC schools, sometimes as early as seventh, eighth grade. But if you can get these guys on campus, you have a chance to, to really turn that interest into something super legitimate and really just, you know, work your way up the list for a lot of these big time recruits. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I really like uh, uh, the opportunity that the, the spring games offer. You know, you, you, you brought up a great point about the conflicting uh, spring games. That's that's kind of one of those early ways to kind of uh, maybe have a, a recruit choose early, you know, and say, hey, what do you what do you, you want to do? Who, what campus do you want to be at? Which one do you want to see? get an early read for it. I saw the uh, question uh, that uh, Gerald Berry had posted about the spring game talking about when is it uh, a chance to get Oregon on a big network instead of a PAC 12 network. That's a great point. You know, I, I do think that the PAC 12 has hurt our, our, our brand, the PAC 12 network. Um, it's not ideal at all. And even in a, a, a LA market, you know, even Trojan fans, Bruins fans, they came and watch their own team. So, that's a terrible situation. I hopefully uh, the, the new commissioner, George Klyukov will figure that thing out and, and put our best foot forward because the PAC 12 does deserve better than that. Big picture though. You know, I, I do think that Oregon's spring game has progressively gotten better and bigger each year. And I would like to see, you know, this year, obviously Dan Lanning hit the ground running. There wasn't a lot of time to put this into play, uh, but I feel like he's, he's been on brand the whole time saying, this is the number one thing. 
be there when you can. He's been he's been promoting this uh, day the entire time he's been here. It'd be interesting to see what he puts into play for next year because it does feel like this could be a really big showcase uh, uh, day if you have a, a whole year to plan for it and get as many of those kids and families out here for it. I don't know exactly what he's going to be working with when it comes to recruiting. I have really high hopes. Uh, and I, and I, do, I do think we've seen some pretty good things so far, but it'll be interesting to see how he recruits long-term. Yeah, great question here for, from Gerard that, that we have up on the screen, just talking about how the Pactual Network is potentially hurting Oregon recruiting. And I think that the more opportunities you have to, to showcase your programs in the Pac-12, not only Oregon, it makes sense that Oregon would maybe get some kind of preferential treatment, if you want to call it that, Oregon and SC being the premier football brands, at least in the conference right now, you know, Washington has kind of been relevant in the past, but they're just a dumpster fire right now. So we'll see what Kalen DeBoer can do out there. Uh, but yeah, couldn't agree more on, on Gerard's point right here. And then also have a super chat first super chat of the day coming from Mikey G. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for being here talking about the legends coming back for the game. Mikey G said, not only does it excite the fan base, I think it strengthens legacy and heritage for the program. Love it. And I, another reason that I like this Ryan is because Lanning said when he got hired how important it was going to be to have those relationships with the former players, make it somewhere that they feel like they can come home to. It's a program, program that they've built. And it's really, it's not just lip service right now. We have to see what ultimately happens on the field in 2022. But it feels like doing a move like this is, you're, it's like Lanning is just doing everything that he has said he was going to do, you know, from, from a, you know, at least from an optics standpoint. And I think that it only strengthens your your confidence in him because being a head coach and running a program is is much more than just what you do on the field. There's so much more to manage. And I think with him being a first time head coach, seeing that he has the the maturity and the the know how from previous experience to to do a move like this, I think is is really good. And I don't want to blow it out of proportion and say you know it's going to be a game changer, but certainly putting the the best foot forward for Oregon and really helping to, to ramp up the importance of this spring game, seeing how important it is for the Ducks in, in any recruiting cycle. I totally agree. Sorry, Gerard, if I butchered your name the first time, I tried to read it real quick. I think I called you Gerald, but I'm sure that's not been the first time. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think the spring game uh, is, is a key day. Something to look forward to all year, especially the way it ended this year. You know, you ended with a really bad taste in your mouth. Uh, obviously, the Duck fans that were in the bowl game, uh, the Duck fans who were at the Pac-12 championship game uh, had a real, real rough run of it there at the end of the year. And you want to just flush that year and move on to the next one. And there's no better chance to do it than have a brand new coaching staff with a brand new philosophy. And you get a spring game for the first time after two years of having COVID taken away and whatnot for fans. Uh, I think this is going to be an exciting time. No doubt about it. So, you know, more excitement continues to build for the spring game as the, the Ducks work their way through the, the final days here in March. Spring football does ramp up again on Tuesday. Cannot wait for that, considering that I was out of town, unfortunately, the last time that we had uh, spring football going. But let's transition into our next topic here. Uh, give me just a second while I get my screen share uh, figured out here. Uh, we've had some issues in the past, but I tested it out before we started tonight, so excited about that. Ducks got a new early enrollee here in the 2022 signing class that touched down in Eugene today. Uh, Lincoln, San Diego cornerback Jaleel Florence announced that he has arrived in Eugene. Uh, he quote tweeted his pic his dad's picture here uh, on Twitter saying, finally home and here to stay. 
Thank you guys for welcoming Pops. So this has got to be one of the most important additions for Oregon as far as spring football goes. With only two practices in the book, I think it's great to get him on campus now with, with a majority of the spring still to come. With cornerback being a position, a major position of need after the losses of Mikel Wright and, and DJ James, a lot of people maybe want to put a, some some pretty lofty expectations on Florence, and and I think that he has all the potential in the world to to do that. And having him on on campus is only going to help elevate this group, help him get uh, get ready for for what's to come. And I think it's also important to kind of manage expectations because I've talked before about how difficult it is for a cornerback to to start early as far as you know kind of ranking the positions to to start as a true freshman but i wanted to to kind of bring in a little side note here i've been reading a book um by by lou holtz called uh, wins losses and lessons so really good book would recommend any football fan to go read it even if you're not a notre dame fan but he it was really cool because we kind of got to peel back the layers of his coaching philosophy and he said in the book you know just because we have had an inexperienced team some years, I thought that was just an excuse. And you're, you're only selling yourself short if you think that you're young, if you think that just being young means that you're not going to be ready to contribute at a high level. And I love that mentality. And, and I have no doubts that that's kind of trickling over uh, into this Oregon situation, seeing that he is one of the higher rated guys in this class. Absolutely. You know, I think, <clears throat> I think a lot is to be said about these guys that come in with a lot of hype. And I know he's the guy that came with a lot of hype. Uh, I think it's really important to kind of temper expectations a little bit until they start playing, they start playing well, then ramp it back up. That's totally fine. But I hate these people to be, I I, don't, I, I would hate for these people to be uh, disappointed with a player. If the player doesn't meet up with the expectations they have. I mean, you know, it, it's a dangerous process when you get these kids that are juniors in high school and people are already saying they're the next NFL draft pick for Oregon. It's like, well, I mean, this kid hasn't even played the senior year of high school, more or less uh, uh, any year in, in, in college. But I do think the cornerback room has has some uh, depth issues, but I do think there's a lot of talent there. A lot of young talent, too. I think Dante Manning's going to have to have the big, big year this year. I like Christian Gonzalez coming in. I think he fits a real need on day one. Uh, but, you know, it was interesting to see Brian Addison Last year, I feel like he played pretty well at the end of the year. And, you know, you have such strength with your safeties, with Bennett and with Jamal. I think you're going to be really fine. Uh, Steve Stevens even, you know, these guys. But then moving Jonathan Flo over, I thought was really interesting, you know, just adding depth to that room and adding different athletes to that room. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think uh, uh, Jaleel will be able to come in on day one and provide a, a pretty strong opportunity. Whether or not he'll get major playing time, is to, you know, I don't know, but he'll definitely get playing time in the spring and that'll be uh, uh one leg up. And I think there's only one other kid. I think Anthony Jones, the only early enrollee. Am I right? Yeah. He's the only other one that is, is here currently. Uh, but the ducks are expected to get a, a batch of, of more early enrollees as we head to, to spring yeah. football ramping up next week. Uh, a couple guys to keep an eye on. Uh, Harrison Taggart is another guy that that's going to be here early. Um, and then uh, we're also looking at, at Devin Jackson, uh, linebacker. So definitely some some cool guys to to keep an eye on as as the Ducks resume practice here. And you really want to get as many guys as you can, but at the same time, you got to understand high school only comes around once, and a lot of these guys are multi-sport athletes. Yeah. So you, you you can't fault them for for sticking around there. But to to your point about the cornerback room, 
Ryan. I, I had also tabbed Dante Manning as that guy that I think needs to take a step forward. Um, you know, albeit a, a fairly, you know, sizable step forward just from, from last year, seeing that he kind of split some time with Triquez Bridges being one of those guys that, that rotated in a lot, but I think he's probably someone you have a little bit more confidence in just because he, he has a little bit more of the uh, traditional DB size. I think he's around 5'11", 6 foot, whereas Triquez is, is kind of closer to 6'2", 6'3". So I think that that kind of lends itself to Dante moving just a little bit better. Uh, really, really explosive guy. Another guy with, with former track experience at the high school level has kind of gotten dinged up here and there at Oregon. So you got to figure that the team really wants him to be someone that they can hope just hits the ground running and, and can help fill the void there at corner. And then we'll have to see what Jonathan Flo and some of these younger guys like Darren Barkins can do uh, now that Davies is, is off to UCLA. That's a, another, uh, I don't want to say a sizable loss because Davies hadn't really played that much, but it is just kind of hampering, you know, what what you have to pull from in the case that you, you do have to shift things around and, and kind of just try to experiment because I think that's the name of the game here in spring. Yeah, and, and that's a room that they, they go through a lot of guys. There's a lot a common injury spot for those guys. They put a lot of wear and tear on their body. They put their knees into some seriously compromising positions sometimes as part of the game. And uh, they, they sometimes will go through some injuries there. So you got to be deep and you got to be uh, well-versed. It's also, it's an interesting one because it feels like that's a position where, you know, let's say you lose a safety. Well, you're taking a DB over maybe, or you're, you're, you're moving guys around. I mean, even what we saw with last year with Jeff Bossa, where he moved from the safety down to the linebacker spot. So it feels like that's a room where not only are guys transferring, but also guys are leaving their original destination, but things like that happen in, in college, you know, uh, Kenyon Barner came in as a defensive back. I mean, there's just there, there, weird stuff like that happens in college. You got to try to find your spot, but I do think defensive back is, if it's not uh, the most important defensive position because pass rush has become so important lately, uh, it's up there. And the way that they throw the ball in the Pac-12, you have to have guys on an island. You can't double team everybody. And like you said, it's a very tough transition coming from high school to college where, you know, in, in, in college, you can't just out-athlete somebody. You know, you have to be out-athlete and out-technique. You have to really, really get the game plan down. And a lot of these guys, they just haven't watched enough film. They don't know. I mean, one false step and you're out of the uh, you know equation. So I really like uh, the guys to be able to have a little bit more success who come in here, uh, who've been around, even if it's a different program uh, or program. You know, I think Christian Gonzalez is going to be a guy who's really going to do some work on day one. Uh, I really liked what I saw from him uh, last year and looking at his film and whatnot. But yeah, I just I, I think Dante Manning was another one of these guys who came in with that really, really heavy recruiting class that everybody loved. Uh, he was at the Polynesian Bowl. He did great at the Polynesian Bowl that year. Uh, and, and I just think that there was a lot of hype coming with him. And he's one of those guys who is a perfect example where, you know, maybe he doesn't reach the hype. Maybe he doesn't reach the potential that the hype originally had laid out for him. But you know what? If you just let him play, maybe he, he he does come out of it a little bit and have a great year and really establishes himself as the number one guy there. Because as of right now, I don't think there is a real number one. So I, I that's why I kind of look to Christian Gonzalez as being, let's see what he brings to the table because he might be on day one, uh, one of your lockdown corners. All eyes are definitely going to be on the secondary for me. Aside from the quarterbacks, I, I got to get my eyes on on those quarterbacks and seeing what what they're working with, what they're bringing to the table. 
and the, the limited media availability that we'll have as far as practice access goes. But with the secondary, you make a good point about Christian Gonzalez. Even though he's a transfer in, he's really not that old. They're really not that you know seasoned of a guy. So uh, that's not to slight his ability, but I think it's just something to, to keep in mind. And it feels like that cornerback room is wide open. And as far as the secondary goes, the Ducks do have some really talented coaches to kind of help solve that puzzle, right? You got Matt Powledge coming over from, from Baylor. And uh, I believe that they uh, – didn't the Baylor safety win the uh, Jim Thorpe Award last year, I want to say? I feel like I'm forgetting I'm not sure his about name. that, but I know they had some great, great players on that defense for sure. Yeah, so let me – Oh, okay, no. So it was um, uh, Cincinnati's Bryant uh, beat out uh, Jalen Petrie for the, for the uh, for the Jim Thorpe Award. But the fact that you know Palage had a guy uh, that you know he worked with and was in the top three because Verome's the the other third finalist there. Um, you know, proven track record of success. Uh, also had some some time at Louisiana, and then Demetrius Martin just been to about half the schools in the Pac-12, and is very lauded for for his skills as a developer. But we're going to take a quick break uh, here on the Ducks Dish podcast. So make sure you guys stick around and we will talk some, some more spring football on the other side of the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back everyone to the Ducks Dish podcast with our Friday Flock Talk edition on a Saturday, March 26, 2020, talking with Ryan Winter, Sports Chat 503. Uh, Ryan, I think another another priority for this Oregon team as we, we get back into spring football has to just be getting healthy. Uh, from those first two days, there, there were a couple guys that, that weren't full participants. They, they were limited or they were just flat out uh, out or unavailable. A couple guys to to kind of fit into that designation are Alex Forsyth, Marcus Harper, and, and Jonathan Dennis. Some some big names along the offensive line, and and Marcus Harper and Jonathan Dennis were, were two of those names that we really felt like with that last step were were just on the doorstep of of breaking into the rotation. Fortunately for the Ducks, they didn't need to break into the rotation too too much last year. Uh, injuries to Alex Forsyth and and Ryan Walk certainly weren't something that they wanted to have to deal with, but they were able to get that group to a, a level that they were confident enough that someone can more or less just slide in and, and they got to give props to Ryan walk for sliding over to take over the, the center duties. Um, Lanny was asked about kind of a timetable for, for those guys. And he kept it kind of vague as you might expect with, with injuries, coaches don't want to tip their cap too much there. He said, I think we'll get a lot of these guys back relatively soon. 
And kind of as a result of that, it's allowed Oregon to, to work some other guys at, at other positions. You think about Jackson Powers Johnson going to the defensive line, Jonah Miller going to the defensive line. Those are two guys that came to Oregon as offensive linemen. And I think that you never want to have people injured, Ryan, right? But I think in this case for Oregon, maybe it's kind of a, a, a bit, I don't want to say blessing in disguise. I guess I just said that, but I don't think that quite fits it because this group is, is going to be fairly deep. But I think after this season, you really kind of have to see what your group is looking like because you have some guys that, that haven't had a terribly uh, you know, large sample size, guys like Faope, Bram Walden, um, Jalen Jeffers. So maybe this spring will, will serve as an opportunity for those guys to, to kind of take a step up and then for this veteran group to, to really pass down their knowledge. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. I think this is a weird year because of the COVID situation, right? A guy like Marcus Harper – would be 100% in line for a starting job coming in next year. A guy who's put in signals for two years now, uh, you know, a guy who knows what he's doing. He's filled his body out. He's, he's, he's right where you want him to be. Only problem is TJ Bass comes back. Uh, Big Sala comes back. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you have this kind of what you had when Penn came in, when you had this established line that was all basically the same age. And because of COVID now, they're like sixth year seniors. I mean, these some of these guys have been there a long time. So, you know, um, I, I agree. I think Ryan Walk, uh, he, he he's my favorite on the offensive line, personally. Uh, the guy's so versatile, such a great story, uh, just absolutely all heart. He's the type of guy you want on your team. He's an absolute gamer, intelligent, knows the game so well. When he slid over, you know, that was kind of unexpected a little bit. You, you knew that there were some guys, Dawson and Morello, one of those guys who could, they said could play all uh, three positions or all five positions, if you want to consider it left, right. Um, but, uh, you know, it was really interesting to see how they adapted last year to the injuries. I don't know what their philosophy will be this year. I don't know if Clem's going to have that same type of philosophy. He might have guys stay guards and just bring up the next guard. If the, if, if TJ Bass goes out, you know, you might have Dennis come in and play that guard position rather than having a uh, walk tra- uh, switch over and Sala go down or somebody else fill the other spot. I mean, there was so many moving parts last year with those injuries, but it felt like the same guys were playing every week. You know, I mean uh, you had uh, obviously some of the back spasm stuff with Alex and you, you couldn't quite figure that thing out because that's such a weird injury. So you really didn't know what you were going to get even until the game started. It wasn't like a regular injury where you know he's going to be out for two weeks, three weeks. You can get the guys ready. This was literally like a game time decision. Can he go? Maybe even at any point in the game, you've got to be ready for him not to be there. So that's a strange injury. Um, I would love to see him 100% fully back, not have to worry about that uh, in the future. but. We know how the back issue goes. Um, I'm really looking for Dawson to have a big year this year. You know, he played well last year. He was in spots, but there were times when he was really, really consistent. And I just love his attitude. I love his mindset. Uh, His brother there, obviously, as well, Bailey, uh, who's a phenomenal golfer, by the way. Uh, And, you know, these guys are just ready to go. I think this is an offensive line group that wants playing time, but they know that they've got to sit and wait almost another full year because guys, like you said, uh, you know, Bram Wald and other guys, these guys would basically be the next ones up. They'd have to be ready by now. And instead, they're going to 
probably pump the brakes on him a little bit and have him go another year. But I would love to see Dennis uh, get in quickly and play. I would love to see them switch around the guys a little bit, not just lean on the five guys. I don't know if that was a Cristobal thing or a Mirabal thing, but it felt like they were very, very proud of the fact that they had their front five and they really didn't try to diversify it that much. They moved guys around, but they like to keep that, that, that group together. And I don't know if this group is going to be the same. I don't know if this uh, coaching staff is going to feel the same way. So I'm really excited. I think uh, uh, big Saul is going to have a big year. I think he's, he's leaned out. I think he's got some real motivation, uh, family motivation, personal motivation to get to the next level. I think he really looked himself in the mirror and said, I what he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready uh, physically, maybe, uh, maybe even mentally. And so the ideology to sit back and say, I'm going to really focus on the craft. I'm going to really get to the next level. That's only going to help the ducks going into next year. As far as last year goes with all the rotation that we saw along the offensive line, that was something that was a bit of a head scratcher, especially in the first half of the season, because we saw it so much and the offense didn't really feel like it was gelling. And we were asking the coaching staff that kind of question, like, you know, do you, do you think that it makes sense to, to keep bringing in these other guys and, and kind of switching up their looks? And I think big long-term, it, it did help because of the injuries that they had. But just from a consistency standpoint, I think when you have a new quarterback coming in, a bunch of new faces in the backfield, uh, aside from, from Byron, Byron Carwell, uh, I'm going to be curious to see what the approach is of this offensive line crew led by Adrian Clem. And I feel like the versatility is, is definitely going to be something that is still um, still a priority. But I, I wonder, like you were saying, if it makes sense to, to stick with something that's a little bit more consistent and just, okay, this guy goes down, then we know that it's going to be this guy, not this guy or this guy because of the, the versatility that they have there. But at the end of the day, versatility is never going to hurt you. Right. Um, but, but expect Adrian Clem with, with his NFL experience to, to get this group right and uh, I wonder if that was the point I was going to ask um, and kind of bring up to the table here in the discussion is we saw the offensive line take a totally different approach with, with Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal when they were here. They were just recruiting absolute behemoths of, of human beings. And the expectation wasn't so much to start right away, you know, Panay Sewell being one of the, the lone exceptions, but getting those guys here, getting them in the weight room for a year and and allowing the strength staff to kind of shape their bodies a little bit, mold them to, to be college ready, but to still be guys that could just maul people to explode off the ball, to be flexible, have that bend. I think a lot of those traits are probably going to continue, but I want to see kind of, are we going to get any clearer of a perception of what does an Adrian Clem offensive lineman look like? You know, what are some of the key characteristics that he's looking for in, in his guys and how has his background with, in college and the NFL kind of helped form that, that uh, image. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of a standard approach to offensive line, right. That I think, I think can apply itself anywhere, but it feels like we've had the two extremes, right. It feels like we've had the chip Kelly light offensive lineman, the six, five, 270 pound, uh, six, three, 265 pound, maybe even, uh, uh, some lean guys in there and, and maybe one or two guys at around the 300 level to uh, everybody at 300 pounds, almost uh, a Ryan walk at a guy who uh, is, is, is under 300, but you know, uh, size wise, maybe doesn't have the same height. That some of the other guys have, but you're right during the, during the crystal ball era, we're literally trying to 
get the biggest guys possible. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a guy bigger than Feope when he walked on campus the first time. And that I don't know if that necessarily pays off either. I mean, I got a lot of love for Feope, but I don't know if necessarily that's going to translate to D1 just by being the size alone. I think you have to have a lot of technique on the offensive line. I think it'd be very, very intelligent because just like we talked about with the cornerbacks, one false move and it's done. I mean, literally, uh, it, 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 that's how the fraction of, the, uh, of an inch of the margin of error, you know, so guys like TJ Bass are really interesting to me. You know, he's the type of guy that I think you're going to see in the future, you know, the transfer portal is going to help guys like that. A guy that maybe was not really highly recruited out of high school, maybe a little bit of a late bloomer, added some weight, maybe was a little doughy early on, but got in the weight room uh, and, and maybe had to go through the JC route a little bit. Juco route comes in and I think on day one, TJ Bass was basically one of the better offensive linemen on this staff. So uh, I do think he translates pretty well to the next level. I would love to see him really do some things this year to separate himself. Um, He's very quiet, does not promote himself at all, but uh, on the offensive line, I was really impressed when they moved him to tackle. uh, I want to say that was the UCLA game. That was a big move, and you know, I, I I saw him as a guard only. I didn't see him with that much flexibility. When he moved to the tackle, he really did some great things at the at the, at the left tackle. So, again, tend tend to be that's your best player on the offensive line. You know, you go left tackle to right tackle. So, I would love to see him really take off this year. And you're right, I don't know what the the body type's going to be for uh, the preferred body type for Clem, but I'm assuming it's somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. We we saw Chip Kelly with the light end. We saw Cristobal with the heavy end. I bet you're going to be f- feeling right in the middle. And I do have a real question marks around what the blocking schemes are going to be for this offense. You know, a lot of people want to talk about the offense. They also want to talk about it's a pro style. What exactly does that mean when it comes to offensive linemen? Um, are you going to have the same type of pulling guards, uh, pulling tackles, uh, pinch pull type situation that Cristobal loved. I mean, Cristobal, that's his bread and butter to me is kick out blocks and follow the, the second pull and uh, tackle, you know, 1985 football. I don't know if Clem's going to have that same approach. Um, I'm assuming there's going to be more screen passes in this offense where you're going to see the offensive lineman let go release and go and hunt uh, some, some uh, defensive linebackers. So, I tend to think that the running game is going to be fine. I, it, to me, it's all about the passing game and how they get creative by using those offensive linemen in the passing game. Plenty of stuff to, to keep our eye on as we're still learning so much about this Dan Lanning, Oregon football team. I know a lot of people are excited about what Kenny Dillingham's offense is going to look like. And it seems like once we get to the spring game, we'll get a little bit of an answer, but you can't imagine we'll get a whole bunch of clarity just because of, of how we've seen that transpire in the past, you know, coaches don't want to, to, you know, put, every, put all their cards out there on the table, but either way, it'll, it'll hopefully kind of serve as a, a little bit more of, of insight for us into what this Oregon team is going to look like. we got a comment slash question here from, from Mikey G. Mikey says, I wonder if we'll get some sense of who wide receiver one or the main targets are shaping up to be at the spring game. Maybe we get to see McGee downfield. Yeah. I, I, I think that that would be, a reasonable expectation or, or something that you kind of want to check off a little bit. The, the whole question around wide receiver one last year got answered as far as Devin Williams, but now he's gone. So you kind of find yourself starting from square one a little bit in, in that regard. 
especially with a new quarterback. But I think Troy Franklin's going to be someone that we see make a lot of big plays in the spring game. That's what he did last year. Really felt like he was one of those guys that came in college ready. I was actually a little surprised it, it, it uh, took him as long as it did, or it took the team as long as it did to, to give him that starting job. Um, you know, maybe give isn't the right word, you know, to earn that starting job. But uh, I think that he'll he'll be someone that we can definitely expect to leap from in, in year two. But I uh, want to see the tight ends get involved more too because they were super underutilized last year. But um, let's see what what do you what do you have to say about this one, Ryan? Well, I think I think it's going to be Chris Hudson is going to be your main guy. I think I think he impressed the living heck out of me. Obviously, he got the most pub with that crystal ball reaction on the sideline where he had the eye contact. Crystal ball is completely screaming at him and berating him before halftime. And, you know, I was just really impressed with his ability to get yards after the catch, his ability to just stick his nose right into the teeth, the defense, get catches across the middle. He's not the biggest guys, but he's not the biggest guy, but he's got speed. Um, I I agree with you on the Troy Franklin side. I, I think there had a lot to be do with the offense last year. I just, I think that they were very loyal to those other wide receivers. The older guys had been there. And even though I feel like the younger guys probably at that point were better receivers halfway through the season, I just don't think they were going to them. And then we know the Anthony Brown situation, you just weren't really looking downfield. So uh, I agree. I think Troy Franklin and Chris Hudson are going to be the number one, number two guys, but I'm really interested to see about Isaiah Crocker, uh, Dante Thornton. These are all guys that I feel like have a lot of real potential. Uh, Isaiah Brevard, uh, Delgado, you know, Chachi, when he first came on, I thought he was going to be a guy that was going to really take off and, you know, getting this extra year of eligibility for some of these guys, they might use this to the fullest. Now, I don't know what you're going to see with seven. I do think that there seven also is a guy. It feels like he fits the mold of maybe high expectations, a lot of hype, the connections to DeAnthony Thomas and all this sort of stuff. I think, I think a lot of that, you need to temper a little bit. I, I don't know what you're going to do with him, but if I was the offensive coach, I would be literally drawing up plays right now for him because he is so explosive. He's an absolute gamer. You can tell that he wants the ball. He wants to do something with the ball. Um, he's got great moves. His body is incredible. Yeah, he came in looking like a junior or a senior as a true freshman last year. So you got to respect the work that he's put in. Um, I just don't know where exactly he fits, uh, right? And I would love to see him in some sort of a slot like DeAnthony where he looks maybe a little bit like a running back some plays, a wide receiver some plays, catch him on the fly sweep, that sort of stuff, get him in space and let him do uh, his thing. So I'm really impressed with this wide receiver group. It's it's unproven, yes. It's young, yes. But talent-wise, this might be the best group of wide receivers that you had in one room at the same time um, with uh, not that much uh, success on the field yet, <laughs> but uh, I do think you're going to see a lot of it this year because I do think that Dillingham's going to throw the ball a lot. To stay on seven for a second, he he is listed on the initial spring roster as a wide receiver. Also, Noah Whittington comes over, running back out of Western Kentucky, so maybe that frees up some more room for him to, to take on a bigger role, seven that is, at wide receiver. But I think with him, you know, he did come in with a, with a reasonable amount of hype and expectation. And I think that that was, you know, deservedly so. He had a phenomenal high school career, but I think it's just getting the reps for him. Just get that guy the ball and see what he can do. Uh, because we really saw a lot of good things happen in the, the you know, limited action that he had last year. 
Um, kind of figure that you just got to get him involved, see him on some sweeps. Again, back to the, you know, we don't know what the offense is going to look like yet. Maybe we have a two-back set that we see the Ducks deploy, and then he kind of gets to, to, you know, come out on some wheel routes or some angle routes, just getting him more involved. So totally agree there. Um, we had a question from Brock Rogers. Brock asks, when will the roster update with player weights and heights go Ducks? Yeah, I, I think with, with this, it's a question that a lot of people are asking, but uh, I believe last year when I was covering this team, it, it didn't happen until the fall, until fall camp. Um, I think, you know, one of those first couple practices, I remember getting handed a physical roster that finally had some weights. So, um, you know, not to, to damper, put a damper on things, but I wouldn't expect anything, you know, in the immediate future here. Uh, especially since a lot of the 2022 guys aren't going to get here until the the spring, sorry, until the summer that is. So unfortunately I wouldn't expect it anytime super soon, just based off what we saw last year. Um, let's see. I did have a, a new, new little section, or I guess I wanted to, to add to the show. Um, give me a second here, get this set up. All right. Which position groups do we think have the highest expectations in spring football? This is one that I think is going to inspire some pretty interesting conversation, Ryan. For me, I, I want us to kind of tackle this. Let's take one on offense and one on defense. I think that would make it fun. Maybe we'll agree. Maybe we'll disagree. Kind of hope we disagree just to, to see if there's some some opportunity for some, some uh, productive discourse there. But I think for the offense, I was going to say the offensive line. But... I think that is the basic answer. I'm going to go with the wide receivers. I think that the wide receivers have a ton of expectations, largely in part because they're working with a new quarterback. I think a lot of the fan base is probably coming from the perspective that we don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but we think that it's reasonable to expect that it'll be a higher level of play than, than Anthony Brown had last year. So I think that kind of naturally trickles over to the wide receivers and, and having some bigger expectations there. Uh, unleashing the skinnies, having some of these underclassmen freshmen really get an opportunity to get involved. We talk about getting downfield, vertical passing game. That's going to have a huge role here. Uh, I'm all for the screen passes like you talked about. I think uh, using them when it's appropriate and not overusing them like we saw with Marcus Arroyo is going to be really key for this this offense to, to kind of, I want to say take next step, but that sounds kind of weird because it's a first year offensive coordinator. So I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, but Find that happy medium of, of when it makes sense to draw up the screenplays, when the running game's working, when the play action passes is, you know, flowing well. But I think these wide receivers with some of the, the hype that they've uh, built up and also the body of work that we've seen. We saw Chris Hudson really just turn a corner towards the end of that season. I uh, really liked what I saw from Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton in the Alamo Bowl as far as getting downfield and just making plays on the ball. Uh, really good footwork as well. And I think that it's really those guys' time to shine. And then Isaiah Crocker being a, another veteran that really hasn't seen the field too much, but I thought he, he looked pretty good in the, in the limited time that we saw him last year. So I'm going to go with the wide receivers having the highest expectations in spring football for the offensive side of the ball. I like that. I, I think you're right about the offensive line. I think the offensive line is the most proven of all of the offense. Uh, I think that... Um, the running backs are going to have a lot of expectations on them because you got to have a running game. And historically, I think it's the quarterback's best friend is a running game. You really don't know what you're going to have with your quarterbacks quite of yet. I think there's high expectation on the quarterback as well, by the way, but I, I would say running backs, uh, 
again, young room. Sean Dollars is the guy who I'm looking at as the biggest breakout guy for this year's offense. I think that coming off the injury, I think he's got a big chip on his shoulder. I think he learned a lot from taking the year and seeing the game differently. Uh, the perspective of having it taken away from him, I think, was a big, big deal there because his injury was very severe. And, you know, his his work ethic. I think this is a guy who's, who's who wants to prove himself. He's already proven himself to himself. Now he wants to prove himself to everybody else. And, um, you know, Byron Carwell, we know we we're going to get there because what we saw in the field last year was so was so great. I mean, as a as a true freshman to come in and get those kind of carries that he got, uh, knowing that, you know, there were they were down to basically after him, uh, <laughs> you know, walk ons. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with that. And I, I, I don't know exactly how deep that room is going to be. Uh, and, uh, and I would, and I, I would venture to say that in the spring, you're going to see a lot of guys play there, uh, because you've got some guys who are walk-ons who are hungry to play. They're going to get some playing time for sure in the spring game. So I think the running back, uh, I think you, you have to have a solid running back or two or three to get it done in this conference. And, uh, Oregon has had a history of some pretty good running backs. So I would love to see that. I agree with you though, on the wide receiver group being, uh, the, the biggest group with the highest expectations because I think they have the most to prove. I think they yeah. have, uh, I think they have, uh, a, a, a lot, a very high ceiling. Let's put it that way of anybody on the Oregon offense. I think they might have the highest ceiling as a group, which is exciting because as an Oregon fan, we haven't had that very much with the wide receiver room. You have to go back, uh, in time to see wide receiver room with this much depth and this much talent. Uh, all in the same time at the same space. So I'm excited about both sides of it. But again, I think everybody's focused on the quarterback. Quarterback has got to be the number one thing. And so, uh, like you said, I think the offensive line is the basic easy answer, but I think the quarterback could be the easy answer as well because there's some seriously high expectations. I've heard people say Bo Nix might be a, uh, a Heisman candidate. You know, like what is the heck is going on? We haven't even, we don't even know if he's going to start. <laughs> So it's it's going to be a good time. What do you think on defense there, Max? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I wanted to. Um, there were a couple more thoughts I had on offense real quick oh, yeah. before we before we switched over to defense. Um, so I just want to wrap up on offense real quick. Uh, I I agree that the the potential for that wide receiver group is is through the roof. I think you really have to think back to the 2014 season to when you saw some some pretty serious depth and and a lot of those the ball being spread around a lot more. Um, I think with Devin Williams being the wide receiver one last year, he got a bunch of the the, the targets and then Chris Hudson as well. But you ha- on that 2014 team, you had Dwayne Stanford, you had Darren Carrington, Devin Allen before he got hurt. So there were a bunch of guys to, to really spread the ball around to. And, and I think that's still the case here, but we want to see that they can hopefully have, you know, relatively similar levels of production. Um, and then with the running backs, we got to see what that group, I expect a bunch of different guys to get, get carries this spring. Got to see if Noah Whittington is going to be here. It doesn't look like Jordan James is going to be joining the team. The 2022 running backs I need out of Oakland and Tennessee. Um, another guy to kind of just, you know, give, give a little bit of a, you know, a shout out to uh, is one of the, you know, the scout team running backs, the walk-on running backs. You got Aaron Smith, who we've talked about before, but also uh, Ronaldo Spivey Jr. Uh, out of Lawrenceville, Georgia. A lot of those guys don't get the praise that they deserve, and, and they're really helping the team get some some quality looks. Just on the quarterback discussion right now, uh, Brock had a comment, and he or he was asking if Ty Thompson doesn't get the job back in the boat, does he still get a lot of playing time, or will Butterfield be playing a lot too? 
So this one's kind of hard to, to tackle right now, just because we don't know where things stand and really we won't have an answer until, you know, the fall, I would, I would presume. But I feel like with, with regard to this question, I think we'll be able to kind of find our answer with how Oregon is able to, you know, put games away or if they let teams hang around or heck if they're, if they find themselves playing from behind, you're not going to be in that position to, to rotate another quarterback in. Um, but I think that the, fortunately for Oregon with the way that they've kind of managed these two guys, even though they haven't seen probably as much time as they should, is that they do have the four game red shirt rule. So if, if they want to, um, kind of, if they want to, no, I don't think that that would, both of those guys have already redshirted, So that's not even worth saying, um, my bad. Uh, but I think basically how they're able to handle the games is going to be very indicative of, of who kind of gets some more playing time there. Um, but I think that they're both really deserving of it. Obviously Butterfield's been here for a while and, and people are just itching to see Ty hit the field. So, ah, oh man, I don't know. I think that they'll probably both get a, a decent amount of time, but at least with Ty being the, the kind of solidified backup last year, I, I'd probably have to say that I would lean more towards him uh, getting some, some of those snaps if he uh, does indeed end up backing up Bo. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I, I think that the whole time, you know, obviously I was talking to my son today, driving in from the beach and saying, you know, what do you think about this quarterback situation? He's, very much Ty Thompson. He's anti Bo Nix. He doesn't think that's, he doesn't like the fact that Bo Nix is wearing number 10. And I'm like, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different stuff there. And I think he speaks for a pretty good portion of the population out here. I think that I think the, the duck fans are very split on this one. Now at the end of the day, whoever is the starting quarterback, I think they'll support, but going into this, they definitely have their favorites. Uh, Jay Butterfield, the guy who got his first hole in one this weekend. So shouts out to him on the golf course. Uh, but you know, this is a guy who, when, when I heard pro style offense, I immediately thought of Jay Butterfield. I thought, okay, this is going to lean right into his bread basket. This is a guy who's a big kid. He can throw a good ball. If he's not asked to run the ball, like they were last year, this might be a good offense for him. Now, not to say he can't run the ball, but he's much more of a, a, a pocket quarterback. Now, the thing about Ty Thompson is, is, is the word on the street again, just reading the tea leaves was he wasn't ready last year. And for all the people who were saying, got to go with Ty, got to start the freshman. You know, I would say the only reason you're going to start the freshman is if your season's completely falling apart. <laughs> and it really wasn't until the very end of the year. Right. Yeah. Uh, Utah. yeah. And at that point, it doesn't even matter. It, it, it really. So the Ty Thompson thing is interesting. I think that uh, there's a lot of hype on him. I don't know if he'll be able to follow through. I don't know if he'll meet the expectations a lot of people have of him, but I do think that Bo Nix is going to be the starter. And as soon as he transferred, I was like, this guy's obviously the number one pick right now, but the history he has with Dillingham, the history he has as a starting quarterback in the SEC and all the other sort of stuff, he's got all the tools. It's just whether or not he can do it here with this group. The real question, though, is with the transfer portal right next door, if Bo Nix does get the start, does Ty Thompson hit the portal? And I think that's the biggest fear is the Duck fans have said, we've talked about this over and over, that you might get yourself into some sort of a death spiral if you can never get a kid and develop a kid coming up from the start. And if you're constantly going off and looking for, excuse me, the best quarterback transfer you might find yourself in a really nasty situation where none of your young kids develop a 
or they transfer. B, either way, you're left with your transfers and some walk-ons. And I would love to see Jay Butterfield get an opportunity this spring instead of it being just Bo Nix and Ty Thompson, because obviously I'd love to see uh, uh, him, him you know, throw the ball as well, because I think he might fit the offense best out of all three. Um, I, I, I also, though, believe that this group of coaching staff, or this, this, this staff is going to really fit whatever they're going to do to their players. I don't think they're going to come in with a very solid approach and have the players fit to their approach. I think it's going to be the exact opposite. I'm going to see what they're going to get. They're going to see what they what they have, and they're going to mold their offense around who they have, at least the first year. So that actually might be better for Ty Thompson. <laughs> so again, I, I we don't know yet. We haven't seen enough in the spring practice yet, but what we have seen is we have seen three guys that are willing to work together, and AJ Abbott's there too. Uh, but we have seen guys who are willing to work together and willing to make each other better. I think that's the key thing. You know, Ty Thompson's. Uh, tweet saying 10 toes down that fired me up you know i i wasn't necessarily a 100 percent ty thompson guy but at the end of the last year before bo nicks transferred i was definitely looking forward to this spring being jay butterfield and bo and and uh ty thompson to see what would happen bo nicks threw a wrinkle into all that right <laughs> so i think that could be one of the other reasons why some of those duck fans like my son are upset with that situation all right, so we're wrapping up the offensive side of the ball. Which position group has the highest expectations for Oregon in spring football? I said wide receivers. Ryan more or less kind of agreed to me, but also slipped in that quarterback. You ha- you could make a very good case for quarterback as we we have kind of uh, you know shown here with the the recent commentary and and you know Brock's question here. So now I want to switch over to the defensive side of the ball. Which group? Which position group for the Oregon defense has the highest expectations? I started off last time, so I'll, I'll give you the floor here, Ryan, um, as we tackle this one. Uh, defensively, it's all about the linebackers to me. I think that Justin Flo is the the main guy defensively. I think that Sean Dollar is the main guy offensively that I'm thinking is going to be the breakout guy. You know, The linebacker core, I think it's going to be unreal. I think you know Flo, I call him the apex predator. The guy is just absolutely insane out on the field. Whether or not he can stay healthy is the real question. Um, but, you know, I think you know what you have with Noah Sewell. I think you're going to be having some great expectations for Jeff Bossa. Uh, I talked with him at the basketball game. was like, dude, you could be MVP next year. And he's like, you better believe it. <laughs> so he's got all the confidence in the world. Super athletic. Um, I love the move of Adrian Jackson to the middle. Um, I love Keith Brown, what he brought to the team last year, absolute gamers, absolute stud. So I really like the linebacker core. Um, I think they're very versatile. I think there's guys in there with some speed. There's guys in there with some power. There's guys with both. Um, I think they're, the main thing is, is just them building a better scheme. So they don't leave that middle so wide open. I felt like they were very much taken advantage of last year by the scheme. Other, other coaches staff just absolutely picked them apart. And it wasn't the, the the linebackers' fault. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were up in on the line when they were passing over the top of them, uh, or vice versa. So I would love to see the offensive uh, uh, teams that we face this year have some serious troubles against the middle instead of those automatic first downs when it was third and fifteen. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm going to be right there with you on the the linebackers having the the highest expectations just because they're so deep. And you have so much returning experience and production at that spot. 
with the linebackers. Uh, Drew Mathis is a guy that you lose, as well as Nate Hukalani. But for the most part, you have a lot of the bulk of those guys back and, and a bunch of promising young talent. You know, mentioned Keith Brown, who, who kind of got thrown into the fire and, and uh, you know, did all right against Ohio State. You know, you can't – it's, you know, you, it's harder to draw – it's difficult to draw up a harder team to debut against than Alabama. You can probably – or sorry, than Ohio State. Alabama would be another one of those. You could probably count on one hand that it would be, you know, really tough to debut against. But Jackson LaDuke, another guy that got yeah. some uh, some time towards the end of last year after coming back from injury – thought it really speaks to you know his development and where he's at with his football IQ that, that he was able to come in and get some really decent snaps and I thought that the production was pretty solid as well there but with with Bossa I think he has a tremendous amount of intrigue Lanny was asked why he thought Bossa had a better fit at linebacker and he said he he combines the the speed of a defensive back with the the physicality or the speed or athleticism of a defensive back with the physicality of a linebacker and in today's age of college football, you got to have linebackers that can run. That's just the uh, you know the, the simple fact of the matter. So I think that Boss is definitely going to help with the coverage. You know, you to your point about the middle of the field being wide open. But another thing that I got to be expecting if, if I'm looking at this linebacker group, who's going to step up and help get some pressure on the quarterback? Because those are two the two areas that I feel like the defense really had to improve on from from last year. There was also some pretty soft, uh, you know. Uh, I want to say, I don't know if I say coverage, but I think a lot of people were saying multiple times last year how they noticed that defensive backs were, were giving those the receivers a ton of room just off the ball, which uh, I think can kind of put you at a disadvantage depending on the situation. But I think that, yeah, the, the pass rush has to be something that this group helps generate. And I think that I'm expecting guys like Trevin Mai to, to take a step forward and um, Noah Sewell obviously being the, the face of that group. And then with Harrison Taggart, how does he factor into all of this? Uh, there's just so much talent in that group that I think the bars is is uh, set really high. And then look for for guys like Jake Long, a uh, new coach coming over from from Alabama, and, and Tosh Lapoy to to really help get that group to the next level. And then Dan Lanning as well. And I feel like that kind of just feeds into to reasons why the expectations are so high when when you have guys that have worked with that position in the past and, and played at a really high level. I know that Tosh most recently worked with the defensive line, but um, you know, in addition to his assistant DC uh, co-DC role um, you know, with him and Pallage being co-DCs, he's, it looks like he's going to be working with the linebackers. So plenty of reason for optimism with, with the backers, but also some, some definite room for growth from a year ago. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's interesting how they listed the players this year. Uh, they only listed two defensive ends. They listed Doralis and Brandon Swinson. Uh, and I think Braden Swinson is going to have a hell of a year. I think I was very impressed with him last year, uh, but I was very impressed with Doralis as well. And uh, they, they're both listed as defensive ends right now, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the other guy, of course, I love, you know, is, is Mace, you know, Mace Funa coming off the edge, you know, a guy who plays at that same type of warrior mentality speed that Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, they play at, they're going to get hurt. They're going to go through it. And, and he's a guy who plays hurt. He's a guy who's had just a tremendous career so far, uh, you know, absolutely a, a, a stud. I think the outside linebacker is one of those big question marks going into this year. What are they going to do with these guys? Because there's some real talent there. And moving Adrian Jackson in the middle gave me kind of more confidence about who they're dealing with there. Uh, whether it's guys, uh, you know, who, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Terrell Tillman or 
Yeah, Jabril Neal, guys who you maybe not have seen that much, but guys who maybe are just ready to go off because this defense, I think, is all about speed. So when I look at them, I'm like, who are the guys that are going to bring the most to the table with the speed? Might not be the same physicality that we saw in years past uh, with Cristobal. Might be more about speed. And there might be a lot more guys in the future that look more like Kayvon Thibodeau on this defense than in the past. There's, yeah, there's a lot of guys that we didn't really see too much of last year, but they are kind of those those tweeners a little bit, right? right. Uh, you mentioned Terrell Tillman uh, being a guy who kind of came in with, with a lighter frame. And then, uh, you know, Josh here in the in the comments is asking, you know, what do we know about Buckner? He's a guy that I think is primed to take a, a big step as well. Mikey G talking about DJ Johnson as well. He's someone that we, we cannot big forget time. about. He's big probably time. the guy on the front seven, I'd say, that I'm most excited about. Yes. Uh, just because it looks like he is primed to to serve solely in a defensive role. Uh, he's obviously shown that he can bounce back and forth between uh, defensive end and, and tight end. But I think that for this staff to really get the most out of him, it really serves him best and the team best if, if that happens on, on uh, defense. Recently got engaged as well. Shout yep. out to DJ Johnson. Congratulations to him yep. on that. Um, and he, Mikey G saying here that he that DJ Johnson doesn't get the attention that Tibbs got, maybe he gets to the quarterback more. And I think that that'll really come with just having a more balanced defensive line is, you know, the, a lot of these opponents that the Ducks had last year were able to zero in on, on KT or, or Dorless. Right. But if that whole group takes a step forward, then it's going to become that much more difficult for the offensive lines and the, the offensive staffs of these opponents to, to zero in on somebody. Because I think that as great as KT was, I didn't think he was as consistent as he probably wish he could have been last year. And that group as a whole just needs to to elevate um, because then that then when you have that, you're getting more consistent pressure, which is going to be so crucial to, to forcing turnovers. But Buckner is a guy that that you definitely have to talk about when you're looking at the, the front seven discussion and uh, someone who's you know in a good position to, to take a step forward. And I think since he is a little undersized for a guy coming off the edge, um, you know, I'm not using that to slight him because I think he's really someone who's used his, his technique and his, his experience training, you know, with, with his dad being an NFL coach um, to his advantage. And I think that that's something that maybe now he's better positioned to, to use that to his advantage and, and take that stuff forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, 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 you know, no slight to DJ. I, I, I think he is going to be the man. I think he has the ability every year he's been at Oregon to be one of the better players on the team. I mean, when he came over here wearing number seven, guy was an outside linebacker, great off the edge, held, contained, did a great job coming from Miami, switched to the offensive side, and I thought he was the offensive MVP during the COVID year. I mean, oh, yeah, I think, I think 100%. I mean, he's just amazing. I mean, scoring touchdowns, first downs, he was an absolute sure-handed receiver, uh, and I thought he just was amazing. And then he went and played both ways. And in the last part of the Ohio State game, gets a quarterback sack or a quarterback rush, uh, and then gets the first down. <laughs> in like the last two minutes, he has two huge plays on both sides of the ball. I mean, who's doing this in D1 football in 2022? And I think with him, just to focus on the defensive side, get his body right, get his mind right. Like you said, congratulations. I'm a big fan. of. I'm on team marriage. I'm, on, I'm, I'm, I'm there. You know, and it just there's something about it, you know, that you, you get everything put in order, you get this extra year, 
you have the ability to stay in school a little bit longer and get yourself put together. This could be a huge year for him. And I would expect him to be able to uh, make some noise into the NFL draft next year because he'll put up some numbers. I mean, he'll put up some numbers on the bench press, on the cone drill. He's a guy who could really surprise people. I, I want to say that he was one of these guys who had the most offers of almost anybody in the country as his senior year. I think he had over 100 offers. Uh, he's a guy who's been the best player on his team for a long time. And I would love to see him go absolutely crazy crazy this year and get maybe a couple three sacks right out of the gate first couple games to set the tone all right we we said that for the defensive position group with the highest expectations we we kind of said backers but you know that kind of includes the edge it depends if you guys want to talk to them about talk or view those guys the edge defenders as defensive ends or or uh linebackers but I think that a case could also kind of be made for the defensive line just with the experience that they have there with Popo back, Taimani, and, and Jordan Riley also coming in. But we're both pretty much in agreement on uh, the, the linebackers as the group that has the you know highest expectations right now for, for defense. And um, we did want to shift into one more topic, uh, one more kind of question that we have uh, here on this episode of the Duck Stage Podcast, Friday Flock Talk on a Saturday. Um, but... We got a question from Jeff Norwood. Uh, he he replied to my post on Twitter, so a great way to kind of get your your question out there. You can follow me on Twitter at mtorus sports or follow the Ducks Dish podcast at Ducks Dish. His question was: New coaching staff has brought excitement and high expectations, but as yet there is little to no interest from the O linemen offered in twenty three. This was a priority of previous staff. Cause for concern or wait and see. I think for for this one, it's it's kind of uh, kind of something that can really be applied to the 2023 class as a whole. I think with the high level that the previous staff recruited at, it kind of became normal for uh, you know the commitments to really roll in, and then once they start uh, to kind of keep going. And I feel like Oregon fans they they kind of look at the recruiting and the commits that come in, and then they're kind of initially immediately, all right, who's next? We got that guy, but now who? Um, which, which is, you know, it makes sense because it's an exciting thing to follow, but I bring that up because the Ducks haven't gotten a commitment since New Year's day when Cole Martin, uh, Demetrius Martin's son committed to the Ducks, but it makes a lot of sense because they're building right now. I think they really are building, you know, they have a couple of big recruiting weekends, bringing in some five stars. They could still potentially get Josh Connerly. who's was on his last official visit right now to USC. He's announced a decision day of April 8th. And I think that that one's really going to be kind of neck and neck between Oregon and USC because Oregon has really been, uh, you know, owning the West coast with recruiting for, I think longer than, than USC has, but that Lincoln Riley factor is going to be something he's obviously had some tremendous offenses that he's put together. So that's going to be someone to keep an eye on for sure. I think that's going to be a huge recruiting battle. Uh, you know, ducks do not want to be going against him when it comes to playing against the Trojans, but as far as, yeah, this, this, the offensive line and, and the recruiting in 23, it usually takes off for Oregon kind of around that spring game. So wouldn't be a shock to me at all if they were to get some commitments out of that spring game and then really kind of snowball from there because Oregon wants to put themselves in the position where by the time the season rolls around, most of this 23 class is kind of wrapped up. And then that way you give yourself some flexibility during the season to really focus on those high-profile guys, those five stars, those All-Americans that really do like to draw out the process a little bit more and take those official visits during the season. Because that's another thing to consider here, Ryan. 
is that some of these high profile guys do want to start taking their official visits here in the spring before they make their decision. Uh, since some of these guys want to commit before their senior seasons and before, you know, duck football really makes its return. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, not, 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 not to lean on the money too hard of it. Obviously we were talking about this a little earlier, but we're in a new era right? We're in the new, we're, we're in the NIL era now. And, you know, I, I do think there's some negotiation going on behind the scenes a little bit on, you know, looking around different schools. What are the different opportunities? What are the different offers? Um, and this is going to be wheeling out their junior year of high school. I mean, these, these kids in junior year of high school are going to be cutting checks for some of these schools. It's just insane to me to think this is where we're at, but, you know, I think this is a, from what I've seen so far, I feel like this is a coaching staff that's going to get a lot of late recruits. I feel like this is a, this is a class that's going to really rise late in the process. Um, I, I There might be a little cause for concern now, but it might be the trend going across the board for college football. This might be the deal that kids are going to be wanting to stay, uh, getting all these offers, getting all these sort of treatments, taking official visits, taking unofficial visits, doing whatever they're doing. Uh, and you know what, it, it, it doesn't really bother me. Um, I don't even, I'm not even bothered by the money either. And I think, I think these kids should be getting paid, but I do think though, the process is changing the early enrollee process. I feel like is starting to maybe, uh, I don't know, have some negative, negative, negative connotations for some schools. Um, I feel like there's some schools that want to have their class locked in. Like you said, before the school, uh, before the season starts, other uh, that really don't matter about that. They, they, they want to showcase their games. They want to have the recruits come in, see the heavy uh, red, roll the red carpet out, see the absolute full throttle, full court press for these kids. And families want to see this too. They want to be wine and dine. They want to be uh, taken care of and they want to see who wants them most. So uh, I do think Oregon will be fine at the end, but yeah, it is a little concerning. We look at the uh, <laughs> commits and you only see one kid and that's a kid who, dad's on staff um but yeah it would be really interesting to see how this plays for the offensive line specifically there is a lot of offensive linemen in the room right now so i don't think this is going to be that big of a priority for them right now but going forward of course you have to win in the trenches yeah i i think that with them going kind of light on the offensive line in 2022 you got dave uly michael wooten and kavika rogers it's only three signees at offensive line uh, I think that it's going to be a prior. It's going to have to be a priority in 2023 for Oregon when we're looking at kind of the position big board. But to your point, just about people wanting to kind of draw it out a little bit, a lot of these high caliber guys are able to push past the the traditional recruiting deadline. So I'm not sure that'll be the case with so many guys here in 2023 so much. But it's it's something that you're you're definitely going to want to keep an eye on and, and is worth noting. Um, just about the offensive line, I believe there was a report out there about Caden uh, Proctor. Uh, a five-star offensive lineman out of Iowa. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, Southeast Polk in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, there was a report that he was uh, working on setting up a visit out to Oregon. Uh, looks like in, in the month of April or at least here in the spring. So he's a name to keep an eye on. He's top five player in the country, according to the 247 Sports Composite. But we did have one more question on recruiting that I wanted to tackle here on this episode as we kind of start to wind down we're already over an hour but it's been a blast so you know time flies and you're having fun right but a uh, question here says do you guys see us landing Rashada or Holstein so this kind of question stems from some of the big developments earlier in the week with Nico Iamaleava committing to Tennessee 
He was Oregon's number one option at quarterback in the 2023 class. And now, as we see so often with recruiting, they got to pivot. Things are fluid. It, it can change in the blink of an eye. But Oregon has really been uh, recruiting Rashada pretty hard for quite some time with him being the, the top quarterback name on the West Coast now that it's still on the board. Malachi Nelson's obviously committed to USC. And then Nico is going to Tennessee. But with Rashada, I think that the Ducks are in a pretty good spot. You know, there's been some buzz picking up for, for Ole Miss lately. And uh, he was out in Dallas, I believe it was, for a seven-on-seven camp slash tournament today. So um, he's he's someone that the Ducks have to keep an eye on. Uh, with, with the Lane Kiffin factor, I think that's going to appeal for any quarterback, regardless of where you're from, just the success that they've had uh, at, with their quarterbacks, with Matt Corral being a West Coast quarterback that had some really good success out there in Mississippi. Jackson Dart, I think, has a ton of expectations for his first year with the Rebels, seeing that he was a highly touted guy coming out of high school, kind of had mixed success with, with USC last year. But I think that right now, as I kind of said a little bit earlier in this week, um, it looks like Miami's definitely turning up the heat for, for Rashada. But, you know, from, from the people I've talked to, uh, sources are telling me that the plan is to get Rashada out to Oregon for the spring game uh, so that you can kind of get that red carpet kind of feel and, um, you know, kind of plot all the stops because it's super important to get a quarterback early. So I know that Oregon's working on getting him up to Eugene for another visit. Um, you know how impressionable some of these recruits are. I think that just with kind of how neck and neck it is right now, I think uh, another visit to Oregon could really be what the Ducks need to, to solidify themselves as the leaders for Rashada. Um, and then for Holstein, just to, to touch on him real quick, you know, he was the guy uh, out of Louisiana that the Ducks offered uh, just about a week ago, I think it was, after – I know that after he got offered, he backed off his Texas A&M pledge, which had stood for nine months. And um, I think right now uh, LSU is a team to monitor for him with him being uh, obviously an in-state recruit uh, out there in Louisiana and then Bama as well. A lot of people are kind of waiting for Arch Manning to commit. I thought he was going to be that, that first quarterback domino, but but Nico beat him to it. And Arch Manning's currently visiting Texas right now after he was in Georgia last weekend. So Kind of just some updated thoughts, analysis, and insight on the QB picture for the Ducks in 23. Yeah, and I, I think either way, you'll, you'll be fine. I, I, I don't know uh, what these kids are thinking when they're thinking it, you know, and uh, that, that's why for me with recruiting, you know, you always want to put your best foot forward, but you never know what you're going to get with these kids, and there's so much influence with their families and everything else. Uh, Holstein, though, you know, is a kid who, like you, you said, picked up a little bit of interest. Uh, when, uh, when that went down last week, but yeah, Jaden Rashada, man, that's everybody's favorite quarterback right now. And again, everybody's favorite quarterback before was Nico. So it is what it is for me. I, 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 I tend to think that, uh, the quarterback, uh, position is, is the most important position, but you don't necessarily need to win. You don't necessarily need to have the best quarterback to be able to win in college football. And I do, I do think that there's a lot to be said about, that it is the ultimate team game takes all 11 guys to do their job, to make things right. And even if you have the greatest quarterback, if you have a bad team to go with them, he's not going to be saved by it. So uh, yeah, it, it's really an interesting prospect. These guys are young. They've, they've played a little bit of football in high school. They've done well. They go to the camps. They look pretty good. I think that's where I like to see most of their stuff is in the camps. And then you just got to get them on campus and see what they can do when they're here. And now with the transfer portal, it's never ending. So even though you're recruiting, you get a kid in, you still got to look at all the other kids, where they went, 
Uh, you could have a kid like Rashada go to some other school and then leave and then come over to Oregon because you kept recruiting him the whole time or you had good relationships to begin with. So it's just a real up in the air business at this point. Rashada is definitely the guy that you guys want to keep an eye on right now as far as the recruiting trail goes. We know that quarterbacks like to make kind of earlier commitments. And I think aside from Rashada on the offensive side of the ball, it uh, looks like the Ducks are kind of building some momentum with Kyler Casper, the big-time wide receiver out of Arizona. The Ducks are in an awesome spot with Jurion Dickey, uh, with him being one of the top prospects in the entire Bay Area. you got to think about Junior Adams and their close relationship with Junior Adams being from the Bay Area as well. That bodes well. So kind of a couple of names to keep an eye on. And then aside from that, I wouldn't be that surprised if the Ducks did start to pick up most of their momentum in this class on defense, seeing that this is kind of the, the direction that the team is heading with being a, you know, a defensive-minded team with, with Lanning taking over, which I don't think is a bad thing at all, even though the history with Oregon is, is kind of favoring the, the offense, I think, and kind of that glamour that people usually tend to associate with Oregon. But that's kind of just some, some recruiting notes that I wanted to hit on. I got a couple updates that I'm going to be working on publishing here in the next couple of days. Uh, 2024 five-star safety Peyton Woodyard. He's going to be in town with his teammate Ty Lee, another safety out of St. John Bosco. So that's 2023 and 2024. Uh, with Woodyard being 24 and Ty Lee being 23. And then uh, Trey Edwards, the modern-day Catholic linebacker. And then uh, I got another running back out of Mississippi that uh, I'm really excited to have that update out there. But we've been going for quite a while here, Ryan. Uh, so thanks for bearing with me with uh, you know the, the recruiting stuff. I, I kind of tend to ramble there because I'm really fired up about recruiting. Uh, but anything just Oregon football that, that you wanted to kind of bring up here or just put out there that we didn't maybe get to touch on? No, I'm good. I actually got to get, I actually got to bounce so I can pick up some of this uh, takeout that my son just ordered. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, I'm, we're, let's continue the conversation again. I think we hit a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up to see how this after spring break, how these uh, practices go. And, uh, and again, just a great time to be a duck, man. Absolutely. So we are going to have you guys covered for all of spring practice that gets going again on Tuesday. Um, Ryan wanted to give you a chance since you, you know, you came on here so often to help out just to, to plug your yourself and uh, kind of where people can find more of you. Oh yeah, man. Sports chat 503. I'm on uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Check me out, man. Right on. So that's where you guys can find Ryan. I'll, I'll make sure to link his channel in the description below. So go subscribe to his channel and check him out. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorus sports. And we kindly ask you, you know, only favor we ask you is to share the show and subscribe to the channel here on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Uh, really appreciate all the support. And you can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We'll get it all out there so you guys can enjoy it. And uh, kindly ask for some, some positive reviews there uh, if you feel so inclined, like we're doing a good job. Big shout out to Ryan for coming on. Thank you guys to everyone who was tuning in to us live. And make sure to, you know, stay locked in and, and we'll be your go-to source for all things Oregon football and recruiting with spring football starting next week. Take care, you guys.